Welcome to the First Thought podcast at Galway International Arts Festival. I am Paul Fahey, Artistic Director of the festival, and in this series you will get a slice of the festival you can listen to anytime, anywhere. Tune in for fascinating First Thought talks, First Thought backstage, final hours and more. You can listen back to all episodes via GIAF.ie or find First Thought on any podcast platform. and how you came to be part of the collaboration. We'll have a little bit of a conversation up here and then open it up to you in terms of questions or responses to the show. So go ahead. Sandra Prince-Lou. I'm a narrator and I play small parts throughout. There are no small parts. (laughs) (laughs) Don't try that on me. (laughs) So I'm Laura Foote. I'm the, the adapter and the director and I'm also the director of the Baxter Theatre in Cape Town. I'm Fanny Swaisa, I play Mama Kay and narrator. I'm Andrew Buckland, I play narrator and I'm a learner puppeteer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Rashina Ratnam, I manipulate the head of Anna Kay, the goat, Samson and play um, some other small plot. Uh, I'm Marcus Schabing and I'm an actor puppeteer and I puppeteer Michael Kay's head and feet. But not tonight. Not tonight, <laughs> obviously. I'm Nolufe Fenchunje. I puppeteer Anna Kay's feet and play other cameos. I'm Carlo Daniels. I am the voice of Michael Kay and also um, on his left arm. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Marty Kintu. I play the feet. <laughs> Hi, I'm Billy Langa, and I am a narrator and the other roles. And I'm Craig Leo, and I'm the Michael K. Puppeteer for Head Puppetry and Right Arm. (laughs) (laughs) So, Lara, this play, this adaptation, is based on a 1983 novel by J.W. Coetzee. Why now? Why did you choose to tackle this text, and how did you crack it open with this ensemble and the companies you collaborated with? (laughs) You know, James Kutsi is such a such a a prolific writer, and um, his work is so challenging and dense and complex. And I suppose it's like being a a mountaineer and wanting to climb Mount Everest. You you want to, as a South African theatre maker, you know, I've I've always wanted to tackle a Kutsi. for various reasons, partly to understand this darkness that he um, embraces and holds so beautifully with such eloquence. Um, and so I had also had a long time 
I dreamed to work with the handspring puppet company, known them for many, many years, and we'd had a couple of projects that didn't, uh, that, that fell through, and then got this opportunity with the Theater der Welt Festival, where they commissioned me to, to basically do whatever I wanted to do. And I called Handspring and I said, you know, are you available? Can we look at some novels? And I mentioned Life and Times, and it happened to be uh, the, the favorite book of Adrian Kohler, who carved all the puppets. And we said, okay, you know, uh, we'll start there. And so we spent several months uh, conceiving of what the puppet would look like, who would be puppets. It was clear to me that Michael and his mother would be the puppets. Um, puppets hold philosophy uh, beautifully and um, made sense to me obviously that Michael was a puppet and then we would do the children and the goat <coughs> and then uh, the rest of the world would be the human beings. Um, so it was a very long journey and it was right through COVID. So we ended up cancelling twice. We were supposed to open at the Theater der Welt Festival, initially with a combination of a German company. That's how Marcus is still with us. Um, and, it, and, and then we had to cancel that twice. And eventually they said to me, just do it with a South African company um, because you know we couldn't get to Germany. And that was a real uh, blessing for me to be able to work with actors that I've worked with several times and that I know well. Um, and it was you know, a long journey of discovery and excavation and how do we tell the story. And I mean, I'm so fascinated to hear from you how you related to the story because we've been in it for so long now. Um, and you know, I've watched it hundreds of times and each time I, I watch it and I, I listen to the text, I think more about it or more deeply about it because, uh, you know, because the text is so complex. So. Yeah, interested to hear what you thought. Yeah. So for myself as an audience member, one of the things that was so striking is with Michael and his mother, they're so separated so often from structures of support, whether in society or community, and yet you're bringing their life, their story to life through these puppets, and these puppets that are operated by four, three, four people at any one time. So I'm wondering for the actors and puppeteers who created those characters, who created that world, what was it like feeling it out in the rehearsal room and with the text in terms of, of who these characters were and how you all moved together as an ensemble? Craig, maybe. Um, okay, so I'll say Craig, I just have to tell you who Craig is, if, if, yeah. if I might. If I may. Craig, Craig is one of the top or chief pup, master puppeteers in the world. <laughs> he, um, he, did the, he did Joey the horse, in, um, the head of the horse in, in War Horse. And he also has done Almeida, a little Amal, Amal. who's uh, Amal. Uh, 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 walked from one side of the world to the other. Um, so he's a master puppeteer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure there is such a thing. It's interesting, whenever you pick up a puppet, it's like you've never done it before. Um, and and um, I think um, uh, some of the questions that you asked, one of the things that we use um, and we rely on very heavily as a team to create a character is the use of breath because we can't communicate on stage. So um, yes, we have a kind of a, a block, blocking for the stage and we have the script, but we have the breath to communicate within the group. Um, 
creating the character for Michael. Obviously, Lara has spoken quite a bit about the script, which is very, very um, informative and very dense and rich. Um, but I think one of the things that make it really special, and that's why I love uh, collaborating with three or even more puppeteers sometimes on one figure, is that each human being that's operating is bringing their history and their past and their experience to that character, which layers it um, on a le to, le to a level that I don't think you could do with a, a, a human actor. Um, so that's how we create the, 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 the um, character of Michael Kay. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there were any other questions. That, that uh, yeah. I, I, I think for me as, because I'm an actor, I'm not really a puppeteer, I'm learning, I've learned. Thank you for the puppeteers who have um, taught us that. So for me, what I have to offer is my body. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't, they, puppeteers have what they call like, um, puppet time where you know you use a real movement but yet you need the puppets have their own time you know what i mean there's a lot of separating and um what's the word um punctuating you have punctuating to, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the word punctuating the movement uh so that was interesting for me that because i don't know i don't know how to manipulate a puppet but I know when someone is tired or when someone is, mm. is sick, I, I know how they feel, I know how they move. You know what I mean? And then you get the puppeteers, they tell you, okay, we've got now the feeling of it. Now how do we uh, take that and uh, put it into, into, in, in, into the puppet? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think for me it's, it's a bit of a mixture of what Faniswa and Craig said because when we started off with Michael, it's with with puppetry, I'm also I'm not a I'm not a puppeteer, I'm an actor and I have a physical theatre background, so I've also have to let, let my body get into the thing and we had to learn a lot like let go, stop moving too much behind, it's 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 about the puppet so we had to follow that puppet and follow each other by breathing together, and that was a challenge in the first few days or first week or two or three. Oh, first month maybe, uh, <laughs> yeah, and and you finally so so you have to I think to learn to let go and and that's the the nice thing about the, the puppetry is you if you if you let go if there's not too much tension or too much ideas or too much managing from from the actor side from my side then I feel better then I feel there's a flow there's a breathing then. Things happen, you know, and yes, we have a text and we have a story, we have ourselves, and even for me doing the voice, it comes naturally because depending on the postures that the puppet, um, you know, goes through and, and the, the movements it does, I can place it in my body and that kind of creates the, the voice um, and also the emotions and where it sits and the breathing, for instance, when he's... When, when they take his, his mother's um, life savings in, in the play, it, it's, a, it's a deep disappointing moment for him and that's it. You, you, you have to place it somewhere and the puppet kind of gives us everything. And um, like I said, yes, we have the text and we combine all those things and ourselves and the honesty of all that. Um, so essentially the puppet leads and that's what I enjoy about doing this play the puppet leads 
um, the whole thing for us. I just also like to add, for me, uh, the actual construction of the puppet is also a level to it. So for me, the way Adrian's carved Mama, she her face is like worried and she carries an anxiety. She's made, she's heavy. She carries a lot of weight, literally and figuratively. She carries a lot of weight, but she's also soft. She has foam on her, and all of these things for me feed into her as a character. And we come together, and it's like it, it layers. So there's the text, and then Funny Soil has her approach to the text. I listen to the performance and her choices, her emotional choices, and then I layer my physical puppeteering choice on top of her choice. And then the feet come with their heaviness and there's an extra layer of that, you know? And then we're often having this conversation. I'm like, I, oh no, I just wait for you to talk. And she's like, no, no, I wait for you to move. And I'm like, but it happens together. There's a thing that eventually it comes together because it becomes almost like a, it, for me, it's like a violinist with a violin, you know? Like she's the violin which we play upon and each night it's a different sound, it's a different movement and, and uh, I, that's what I love about this form. And to pick up another aspect of layers before we open it out to you, there's the acting, there's the puppeteering, there is also the video, there is also the music and the soundscape, as well as the lighting and, and the scenography as a whole. How did those elements come together in the room, or what you, were you bringing into the room already decided, Larry? Well, when I was adapting the text, I adapted it with the film um, in mind, and I worked very early on the score with Carl Shepard, who's the composer, quite extraordinary music. Mm. Um, so it was a lot of development time before we got to to the rehearsal space. Um, I, I, I really wanted to work with a film. Um, partly, we were going to be in a very, well we were in a very big theater, the 700 seater in Germany. And uh, I, I wanted you know, the audience to be able to witness the puppet close up. So that was one practical reason, but I also wanted to see the landscape of Michael's journey, the vastness and the beauty of the Karoo and the, and the Swartberg. So it was important for me to also have the film element, which is, again, a layering. You know, there's so many layers to the text, so the layering of the different disciplines um, helps imbue those characters with, with the meaning. I mean, for me, it's all about empathy, and when the three puppeteers are, you know, literally uh, in the soul of Michael or in the soul of Mama Kay, there's a sort of an imbuing of empathy, which I believe the, the audience also is complicit because they also have, the audience also has to be creative in believing and feeling for Michael. So, um, so music was very important uh, in terms of the emotion of the piece and then the film, the landscape. Um, and then, you know, obviously working with the lighting there is a filmic element to the theatricality. So, uh, yeah, that all came together. And for the actor puppeteers working, particularly with the music, with the film, what was that like in terms of expanding or, or giving you more layers to what you were doing? Um, you don't, um, it's interesting, we, we were doing some sort of understudy roles, like rehearsals and just like, um, this afternoon and I realized I don't see anything <laughs> I, only, I do not a lot of the time not know what is happening 
around and behind me. So I, 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 I'm completely focused on Michael um, and the people, the, the puppeteers, and obviously the actors I'm working with, but very often I'm not, I'm not aware. Um, I really get a chance to see what's happening behind me. So, um, yeah, I, it, for me, I, I, the music is extraordinary. It, it, it is that layer of emotion that um, supports us. Um, often we need to also work against it. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to get lulled into specifically this kind of exquisite music. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's difficult to comment on, on, the, on the background <laughs> because it's, it's there as, as something that you experience, not mm -hmm. something we experience so much. Well, if Craig is in the film, so, <laughs> I don't know if he forgot about that. <laughs> Just in the, from our audience perspective, at least for myself watching it, you know, it seems part of the breath, part of the world. So to hear that very different experience actually in your body is fascinating. Um, so we can open it out here for comments, reactions from the audience. And we have a roving mic as well. So go ahead right here. Like 
an imagined third person voice again, it's in Michael's voice. Um, so yeah, those are, those are like my things that are wrapped to I'm wondering about, sorry for the wrapping. Um, I was very clear that I wouldn't use a doctor's voice. Um, so just for others, it's divided in, into three chapters. And the second chapter is um, through the lens of a white English doctor um, who looks after Michael. And um, it, it would have felt very wrong for me to tell the story through the lens of essentially a colonial um, voice. And also, he, um, he, he sort of explains Michael, um, which takes away the mystery for me. And perhaps when Kutsir wrote it in the 80s, he felt he needed that explanatory voice. And funnily enough, I had to um, give my draft to John Kutsir to, to vet. You know, he says whether we can do the adaptation or not. And I said to him, look, I've left out that whole chapter. Um, I've left out the doctor. And I was quite worried. And he wrote back to me and said it was the right decision. So um, also, of course, you can only have, it's already two hours and, and you can only have, you know. Um, but I, I understand the question because it is a big part of the book. The only thing we allude to is the cricket. <laughs> We've got a cricket bat. Part of you know, because the doctor looks out over the cricket lawns, um, and then um, it, the, your last yeah, we put it in both Michael's voice and the narrative voice, so it did give I suppose gave a glimmer of hope um, in the end. But I I understand that question too, and I'll go home and have a look and see maybe. Maybe maybe it shouldn't be like that, but that was the choice we made. Other comments and questions right over there. Thank you. I was wondering how much of the puppets movement is, is described from the script, or is it something that's choreographed once the script is completed? How do you how do you Get to, uh, I guess, two things. Um, is movement described in the original script? And once the puppeteers um, get the script, how much of it is developed or workshopped during yeah. the practice? If, if you could speak to that process. Yeah, I mean, that the, the scenes are in the script, or like in the in the rehearsal room, I would say, well, let's use a blanket as a trampoline or, you know, these boxes as, as a, you know, to show the drowning or the, the, the pool. But all the puppetry is done in the room with the puppeteers and it's workshopped and with Basil and Adrian who are from Handspring, who actually direct the movement of the puppet. So, but that's all created by the, in fact, Everything is created by the performers. Yeah. I remember that we also had loads of certain elements, certain moments. Uh, we had talks, like, for example, the moment when his mother dies. Mm. I remember us sitting together and talking about if we've experienced loss and how we would physically, if, if how it affected our body. 
and then it came up a lot that people felt like the floor was pulled away or their knees were giving in and then we just <coughs> this sequence started developing and then we just I think Lara just said Im improvise go with it and then no one said stop and we kept collapsing <laughs> kept collapsing <laughs> kept collapsing and then that kind of we realized that that kind of works mm -hmm. and then that kind of became that sequence similar for another mm -hmm. metaphoric moment with the blanket so it, it was talks and then just improvising and then and images yeah. appear. And I think that's what, when I was saying early on, how we bring our own experience to the play, that's one of the, the ways that we do it, is that the movement of the puppets is, is text, but it's not text that's in the book. It's text that is uh, made up of our experience and our feelings uh, towards the text, but also life experience um, around death or journey or, um, yeah. So there's a whole lot of. Um, it's hard to write. Topics. I mean, there's been questions about well, how do you write that down? Even now, if you were to take it and rewrite it into text, how do you write down choreography? Yeah. Mm. Um, very difficult. Other comments or reactions? So right there in the second row, and then in the, so in the second row, and then in the back. Thank you. Um, it was amazing. Um, my question. Like, Lots of questions that I want to ask you, but the one is about the um, the water scene. It was really ethereal. It was just like how did that come together? It was just stunning. Lighting. Andrew, you never the I had never worked with puppets before as an actor. I'm getting on now, I know. So it's been a long time. Uh, um, but wanted to work with them for 40 years and then finally had this chance. And then to work with these people, uh, it was uh, absolutely revelatory for me because it spoke absolutely to what I love about theatre mm -hmm. and that it is a, a craft, a construction of, um, Stanislavski spoke about a, a score of physical actions, mm -hmm. precisely that. And that's what an actor is doing. You know, it, I'm not a method actor. I don't sit here and emote and have you witness that. My job is to craft a series of actions, vocalities, emotional signals, which stimulate the audience to have their own experience. You know, and then to watch the puppet do that mm. practically, with such precision and such delicate uh, subtlety. You know, so the minute you're given the task, okay, we're going to do a scene of drowning the goat this mammoth, epic thing that must happen, and the way that they will go through each second to look at it rhythmically, to see what's the position of this hoof, as opposed to that one there, where's the lever that has to get out, so it's about grueling, grueling, repetition, and at the same time, making sure that when you do get it, it's embodying something true, you know, you're not just masking something, so it's, it's the most amazing craft that every night I, I sit and watch them, you know, in awe. I, sometimes, if I didn't tonight, forget to go on because it's just so captivating. Yeah. But it is just hard, uh, precision work that makes it work. Well, I remember the moment exactly because uh, the designer and myself had spoken about it for, for weeks about how we're going to can't make a pool on stage, you know, a dam or, um, and we're in the room and I was with Adrian, he was unhappy about the goat walking on the floor. 
you know, he said it didn't look like he wanted it to look. Um, and then I said, well, maybe we must lift, you know, maybe uh, that was the idea to lift, you know, the surface and then the, you know, there's our dam. It was like epiphany. Um, and he was so happy because the, the goat could jump between these, we call them dollars, but, you know, because puppets have to land somewhere. So these have all been created as a surface for the puppets to sit on or walk on or jump on. Um, and, and so it, it, it opened up a whole world for us because now the goat could jump, uh, we could see underwater, and, and then we could use the sound effects and the lighting and it all came together. Um, but I know they, I mean, like Rosh is doing the goat. Um, that, that took hours and weeks of, of practice um, to, get it, to get it right, to get it believable. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that's important that you tend to forget, even we, or every time we make a new show and you work with people that haven't done puppetry before, is you, everyone wants to treat them like actors, but you forget that actors, <laughs> they just walk and pick something up if they want to. <laughs> so every time you have a new idea, you really need to analyze, as uh, you said, uh, every movement, because you, they need to learn to walk first, and they need to learn how to pick this up, and then you obviously then have to make the decision, how are they gonna pick this up? So every movement is a decision that you really consciously make. Whereas an actor can just go, yeah, let's just change that. Every time someone says, let's change that, yeah. it's a change <laughs> that you potentially have to rehearse for weeks. Um, so you start analyzing movement so much more. I, it just reminded of we had the scene where Mama's house, the bed was facing the other way. Oh, God, yeah. The bed. <laughs> for weeks and weeks, we had rehearsed that. And then I suddenly remembered, like, in a black culture, you don't sleep with your head facing the door. <laughs> so now we have to change everything <laughs> because culturally it just wouldn't be right. Um, so, and that means that you rehearsals. Because exactly. <laughs> one person is in charge of one hand, that yeah. suddenly means a person that before was on the other hand has to com le completely learn something different, and you change everything. No, sorry, no, I was going to say, in my experience of directing, has really been probably <coughs> one of the most difficult things. Uh, and for the actors as well, you know, we talk about the narration. I mean, it's not, it's not normal dialogue or speech. Uh, it's, it's complex narration. So for me, I'm very lucky to have uh, the likes of Sandra and Billy and Andrew, who, who are so good with text, and then Franiswa joins after the mum dies. You know, because it, it's, it's difficult text. And to make it sound, uh, you know, flowing and natural and uh, c connected, it's, it's, a it's a difficult piece to, to do. Yeah. We had a question up there in the back, and I saw a hand towards the middle, and then we'll bring it probably towards a close after that. I, I haven't read the book, but I was fascinated by the children. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were absolutely enchanting. And I wondered were they there as light relief or whether their role in the play or in yes in the play was as in the book. 
We took some license there. <laughs> <laughs> but there, I mean, there are children in the camp, and they do like Michael, but there's no actual scene uh, with dialogue or anything. We, we obviously made that up. And of course, those, uh, I think one needs a bit of lightness <laughs> in the plan. I think it comes at the right time. Yeah. So we improvised, we, we created those scenes. And then here in the middle, where was it? Okay. Somebody down here? Okay. Go ahead here. Two here. Oh, sorry, wait. So right one next. In front here. Yeah, right there. Go ahead. First of all, thank you very much. It's amazing. Um, my question would be about the development of the puppets. How were Michael and his mom as a puppet? How did they come to life? I mean, as a, as a design? Did you say something about it? Lauren, you might need to answer that. Pardon? I'm not familiar with how. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was very much there. Um, so, so in the uh, in the in the book and in the play, we talk about the Kamiskron killer, the the guy that that killed the farmer. So we, it's not actually in that pie scene, but we put it in that scene. And some people suggest that John Kutzia based Michael K on that. Kamiskron killer, uh, so the man that murdered the farmer for not paying him. So that was our inspiration for the face of Michael, um, and the well, more the face of, of Michael. Um, not that that's where the hair look came in. That's in the book, so I'm not I'm not sure why John chose to do that, except to make him a, the outsider. Um, but so, so Adrian um, spends a lot of time drawing, very careful drawings, um, not sketches, like very, very carefully crafted drawings. In scale, we always knew it was going to be a puppet that would be two-thirds the size of a person, uh, just because they're easier or better to manipulate. Um, so he would, from the beginning, he started drawing in um, in scale, and came up with a face, and we had many conversations about the face, and then finally, you know, the body, you know, the, made of that um, cane. cane, cane, which obviously is lighter, but is also very very beautiful. So those were all Adrian's decisions, um, and the look of Michael and the look of Mama Kay were where I also got involved in. What would I like? What do I see? Or what do I think she looks like? I can I can speak to the body and the the, the sculptural development um, in terms of handsprings um, art. In that, um, when they did Warhorse, they they started working with this cane and, and revealing the structure, um, and they uh, it sparked an, a, a whole. Um, uh, from then on, they continue to work with this because it is light. It's flexible, but it's also very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And you can see through it. Mm -hmm. So you can see, with Warhorse, you can see sometimes you see the puppets. Uh, it depends on how it's lit. If it's backlit, you see the puppeteers through the body 
and you see the structure. If it's front-lit, it becomes solid. So um, with Michael, it's, it's a development of that. Um, in fact, I don't think Adrian has ever made a puppet with a body like Michael's ever. So he's got uh, he's got flexibility in his rib cage. Normally, the rib cage just ends below the sternum, and then you have a spine or something that resembles a spine. But this has got all the ribs and with tendons, so there are elastics between each rib that join to the actual um, uh, pelvis. Um, so yeah, it gives him a lot of flexibility. He can do amazing things with his body. He can breathe beautifully. So he can really, um, he can get an incredible um, flexibility in the in the rib cage for breathing and breath. Um, and what he also does is he carves the face and then bless him to make it lighter. <laughs> he cuts that in half. So he makes this exquisite carving and then he cuts it in half and he chisels out the inside and glues it back together um, just to give us <coughs> every button, every zip, every pristug as <coughs> weight. So yeah, he's gone out of his way to make it as light as possible as well as an extraordinarily beautiful um, sculpture, moving sculpture. So to move towards closing here, this play and novel are based on a fictitious civil war. We could probably each draw our own connections in terms of current conflicts, precarity, displacement of people individually, with internally within countries, or beyond. So there's all those, perhaps, points of connection. You asked us at the beginning, Laura, what you were interested in our reactions. I'm interested to close here what you think about yourselves as performers and puppeteers when doing this show, or what you'd like us to leave thinking about or reflecting on. Yeah. Can I go? Oh. Can I? <laughs> <laughs> to check permission. <laughs> the, in, a, in a way, it was something that Lara uh, described that Michael, in a way, embodies the possibility of hope. When he's, and Adrian said as well, the image at the end where he says, you know, if you take a spoon and you can lower it down every day and just have a little bit of water in a spoon, you can live, you can survive that, despite the, 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 the terrifying circumstances in which people survive. And in South Africa now and every, you know, many places in the world, many, many people live like that, survive like that, with nothing. And in a way, Michael, because of his ability to never take part in self-pity, or he lowers his dignity, that he stands up all the time, never begs, never backs down. He just is himself. He has a clear commitment to a thing, and he survives. So he becomes like a, um, a prophet of hope. You know, so that, because at home now, Michael, you see Michael everywhere, all the time, surviving. So he, he embodies that. And the way that the puppets are structured, and the way the actors work with the puppets, it embodies that ability to take care of each other, to watch three people make one person, involves them to be absolutely empathetic and in tune with the person next to them, listening to them, taking care of each other. So the way in which we, I feel like we as a company take care of each other in performance, that embodies what the, the hope that Michael uh, carries. So even above the text, above, beyond James Kutzier, you know, just what happens on the stage is, is, it's like, it's, it's revelatory every night for me.
thank you for the beauty of that statement, for the generosity of your presence on stage tonight and staying late with us here. So a final round of applause. Thank you for joining us for this episode. For more episodes, visit GIAF.ie or find the First Thought podcast on any podcast platform. First Thought is presented in association with the University of Galway.